Welcome to Metal Injection Squared Circle Pit. Today's special guest, Brian Quimby. And now, here is your host, Rob Paspani. Thank you, myself. Welcome to Metal Injection Squared Circle Pit. Hope you had as good a 4th of July weekend as possible in today's times. It's Rob again with another episode. Changing things up a little here on this edition. I have a fellow podcaster. He does a new metal podcast called the POD Cast. He's been on many wrestling podcasts. He is Brian Quimby, and I'm very excited to talk to him. We kick off the conversation talking about the connection between new metal and uh, WWE and the Attitude Era and the, the late 90s wrestling scene. And then we kind of transition talking about the differences between WWE and, and AEW right now and, and kind of trail off on a really fun conversation. And uh, if this is your first episode of Squared Circle Pit, check out some of the archives. We have a lot of really, really awesome episodes. The last episode was talking to the AEW World Champion, John Moxley. Uh, previous episodes, there's an awesome one way back in the archives with Cannibal Corpse frontman George Corpse Grinder Fisher. I think I might have to have him back on because... It was so fun to talk to him about pro wrestling, and uh, he has a lot of great stories from back in the day, including one about meeting Andre the Giant. Other past guests included Corey Taylor from Slipknot, Eric Bischoff, Kenny Omega, CM Punk, tons of episodes in the archives. Go to metalinjection.net slash squared circle pit. And without further ado, here's my conversation with Brian. Now entering the squared circle pit. I have a fellow podcaster from the podcast and Street Fight Radio, Brian Quimby. Thank you so much for joining me here on Squared Circle Pit. Hey, you're welcome. It's good to be here talking about two of my favorite things. That's right. I brought you on here because I want to talk. You know, this podcast is specifically about the connection between heavy metal and pro wrestling. And today I want to concentrate on a very specific genre of heavy metal, one that I feel that you are quite an expert in which is new metal, the connection between new metal and pro wrestling. Absolutely. I mean, I love pro wrestling. I watch it and uh, new metal. I do a podcast about it. You know, I listen to it for the podcast right now. I mean, mm -hmm. I grew up listening to it, you know, of course. For, but I, How old I are you? What's, I'm what's, 41. What? I'm 41. Okay. I've been to a lot. I saw a lot of those bands in concert. Been I, I so like I, I was lived super, it. Yeah, I was there. And then a yeah, uh, uh, friend of mine, John, from the show Block Party, asked me if I wanted to do a podcast with him about new metal because we had talked about it on Blocked Party. And I said, yeah, let's do it. And then, you know, I've been listening to it again for the past. It's about a year we've been doing it. So I'm probably at the highest amount of new metal listening that I've been in a decade, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I'm a little younger. I am 36, but I grew up with it. I was a total new metal dork as well and a, and a big pro wrestling fan growing up. And wrestling actually was what got me into metal, the new metal rock. Uh, and I was curious, which did you get into first, pro wrestling or heavy metal? Well, it would have been wrestling because I, I was watching that when I was like 10. Mm -hmm. But I was also very early on metal, too. You know, like I wore a Motley Crue T-shirt to school in the fourth grade. I was into hard rock and stuff when I was like eight, nine, ten years old, which mm -hmm. is probably pretty early for that kind of stuff, I think. But yeah, you, know, you were just always drawn to the the counterculture aspect of it. I think like especially when it comes to music, I like very loud things. You know, mm -hmm. like all mm -hmm. the music I like is just like loud and it's people yelling and screaming and metal is perfect for that. And the like kind of <laughs> rap I listen to is basically that, too. You know, like I listen to country music a lot, too, which is a little more laid back. 2020 is the year of metal for me, so I haven't listened to anything else. Very nice. So what what was your earliest wrestling memory? Do you remember what kind of got you into it? I would say it, Kevin Nash is the guy that like really drew me in. My earliest wrestling memory is Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan on Saturday night's main event. I didn't actually get to watch WrestleMania three because mm -hmm. my dad was would never 
get a pay-per-view. Yeah, but uh, it was expensive. Yeah, I saw the build to that match on Saturday night's main event, and I just I loved it so much. Mm-hmm. But then it it would take me a few years to come back. And uh, it was, you know, we were just kind of watching it every week. I wasn't super passionate about it. And then when Diesel came out, I was like, that's the coolest guy in the world and just became a huge fan after that. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, that's funny because one of my earliest memories is also that Saturday night's main event. And I was like totally hooked. It was something my my whole family got into. And then I remember... I mean, I was getting into rock on my own with like Ozzy and Marilyn Manson. And then like uh, DDP came out to a sound alike of Nirvana. Yeah. <laughs> it smells like Teen Spirit. And uh, that's how I got into Nirvana, which I'm like embarrassed about kind of to, to share. <laughs> but it's, I mean, like, hey, whatever works. I didn't have an older brother or sister to like kind of expose me. So I had to find it myself. And uh, when I got into, in, into metal and rock and like made friends and whatever, I thought it was so cool when like it just made sense that new metal and wrestling like there was a meet meeting there because uh wrestling is so uh desperate <laughs> for any pop culture acceptance and these bands needed somewhere to go and they already kind of look like wrestlers so, with the way some of them dress so it was perfect it's almost also like a perfect kind of music for it because it's just riffs, you know, there's, yeah. there's not like, there's not like slow parts to most metal and there's not to the most new metal and there's not really guitar. There's no solos or anything like that. It's, it's all just cool fucking riffs, you know, it's perfect for an entrance theme. Uh, that's a great point. That's great. Like WWE entrance themes already were kind of new metal. Like they're even back in the eighties, like, uh, one of the earliest metal themes in my mind is like the demolition theme. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're still, I think there's a lot of WWEs are still kind of new metal. It's like, all right, guys. Oh yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's funny kind of going back now. So I feel like even the, the opening to Raw, which was a WWE produced song, which fun fact, Scott Ian played guitar on. That uh, guy's done everything, man. He's the riff master. Yeah. Even for like, like that's, I feel like when the, the new metal thing kicked in, when they started doing Raw is War and they tried to compete with, with Nitro, from then on in, I feel like they really started working with record labels. And when it really reached an apex, is I feel when The Undertaker came in, uh, no longer as the dead man, and then as the American badass, and started using Kid Rock's American Badass, which was a hilarious song in retrospect where he just sampled Metallica's Sad But True, which, if you think about it, was only like, what, six years old at that point? It wasn't even like that old of a song, and just made it his own, and that was The Undertaker's entrance. And then the the, the collision between New Metal and, and, and WWE, uh, WWF at the time, I feel really kicked off. Right, yeah, and WWE, WWE like doesn't get like the subtle differences in metals, so like yeah. <laughs> they were just like, yeah, this this biker would come out to Roland or uh, Kid Rock, and it's like I don't know, I don't know if bikers were particularly into this kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny you mentioned like oh, they they did that Undertaker series. Uh, and he's been doing all these interviews and he did one about his music and he was like, yeah, Roland, you know, like, obviously it's a perfect fit. The lyrics I didn't agree with so much, no. but the, the message, like even the undertaker was like, I don't know about these Limbiscuit lyrics. They're not as good. I guess they don't hold up like some of the other bands, I guess. Who, who are the bands that you would say hold up uh, for me? I, I mean, I don't even know if there's a, a new metal, band, but system of a down is one that I feel transcended the, the, pejorative of new metal yeah deftones and corn i think oh, yeah. like our two band like i think corn has done like a really good job at staying kind of relevant i think there, you know there's there was like a dark period for them obviously the the skrillex the serenity of suffering kind of stuff but i think the nothing is like a really great album like the new the new one that just came out i i think it's great they're back to doing like what they're good at. And it doesn't sound like 
the old stuff and it doesn't sound like something from the 90s it sounds like a mix between corn and like new stuff or like pantera you know or metal more straight ahead metal and and i think it's really fucking good yeah i, I agree they've definitely transcended into just like a uh a heavy metal band that people aren't like embarrassed to like. Yeah. I went and saw them live in January and I was like, I was really into it and it was like a really weird, like, so the first time I saw corn in concert was in 1995. They were opening for Megadeth. I went to see that tour only went for corn. Anyway, I, I left before Megadeth played. So I go to see corn and then like, I saw them at like small venues. I saw them, you know, in places that weren't even like sold out and to see them like in an arena, like real arena rock guys was like really a trip to see. It's crazy. Like they fill that stage up, you know, they, they are rock stars now. They're not just like a, you know, a, a, a grimy metal act. And it, I think like, there's something about like being a person who I, you know, I tour with our podcast. It's like, oh, that's like a really cool that, you know, they grew into this thing. And I watch these guys grow into this huge thing, you know? Yeah. I feel like uh, you kind of can feel that way with uh, bands like Corn or pro wrestlers as, as well. Like you see them kind of go up the ranks like you uh, maybe discover a wrestler in a smaller promotion like ECW and then watch them kind of get into WWE and then like uh, work your way up. And, and it's cool to kind of watch the career as well. And, you know. Yeah, I have that. I watch more. I, I watch a lot more indie stuff and Japanese stuff than I do WWE. I, I don't Same. watch. A, well, I, I, mean, don't I watch, watch all of it. Yeah, I don't watch a ton of WWE anymore. I watch AEW. I like I like AEW and I think it's good. I wash my hands of WWE. Probably I did a podcast about this recently, but Brock Lesnar versus Dean Ambrose at WrestleMania was when I was like, I just I don't I can't do this anymore. I don't like this. <laughs> that was a very weak WrestleMania. That was 32. Uh, well, you know, it's it's kind of it's in a dark period right now. Anyway, you're not missing much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if they get hot again, I'll check it out, you know, but yeah. I feel like they burn you so many times, you know, like hmm. they can only burn me so many times before I'm like, nope, I'm not doing this anymore. This is just bad. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they that. don't know how to do it anymore. I guess is, is I think what I think, you know? It does. It does feel like they go to the well a little too often. To use an old cliche, like they just kind of know three or four storylines, and they run the same storylines over and over, same beats, and they don't really change it up too much. Yeah, and they don't even get them right half. The, like it's sort of like you know they don't have like the same values as me when it comes to wrestling. I guess I think it was like it took me a long time to figure it out, but it, it's really a thing where like they aren't a company that wants to do stuff that I like, you know, and I, yeah. I got to accept that. And then either, you know, you stick around with the understanding that like, this isn't going to be the company that you want it to be. This is the company that they are. And you're expecting it to do stuff that you want, or you can just move on to stuff that you like. And like, I like, I like new Japan. I like a lot of the indie stuff. I liked evolve until they, sold it i like aws and gcw i like gcw a lot too i spend and that's where i like spend a lot of my time now and i get to see a lot of people you know start out like joey janela you know i've been watching him from the very beginning and and now he's on dynamite and he's really cool and there's a bunch of wrestlers that i've been watching for a long time that i'm now seeing on on tv and i think it's really cool I agree with you completely. Yeah, I'm a huge New Japan fan. I would say it's my favorite promotion. And I feel like, uh, you know, I've talked about this on this show a lot. It's kind of like WWE does the pop music. AEW is more kind of like a grimier rock, heavy metal show. And like maybe New Japan's more of like a prog rock band <laughs> because it's just, I mean, New Japan is, is just on another level. And, and that is like pure sport. That is like the art of pro wrestling, I feel. Right. I think AEW is, is like, I, I look at AEW as sort of, it's like 
classic rock. It's almost like a tribute act in a way. And mm-hmm. that like it calls back to like some of the things that make pro wrestling great as often as it can while still being kind of a new thing, you know, to tie it to new metal. Back in the new metal days when it was like on top, every band did covers of songs that weren't necessarily, you know, set up to be metal songs, you mm-hmm. know? And I feel like that's kind of what AEW is. It's like a callback to older style wrestling storytelling, but it is athletic good work too in the, in the ring. And like, I really like that. Like I think Cody's matches, I was at double or nothing, obviously not this one, but the first one when, uh, uh, Cody and Dustin wrestled and, uh, yeah, I just, one of the greatest moments ever live to see something like that. And I think that WWE is like such a corporate thing. They have a thing figured out and, and like, if people like it, that's, I'm not here to say like, you shouldn't like it. It just doesn't feel like it has a soul to me. It doesn't feel like it harkens back to anything and it feels a shame of its past, you know? Yeah. Like they're ashamed to be wrestling. It feels like that for maybe a, a little bit, but, but at the same time, there are uh, moments where it is, it can be rewarding like with NXT, I think more so uh, probably because you know, Vince doesn't have as much control over it as he would the main shows because he's just no matter what, he he just can't relinquish control. Yes. Yeah, I agree. I, I think NXT is pretty good. I mean, I have my gripes with NXT, but overall, the, the wrestling's good, you know, and they try, I think, to tell stories. I would never begrudge somebody like uh, uh, saying that NXT is a really good promotion. I, I, I think they do a good job there. Yeah, and, there's uh, work rate. You know, they, they have good matches and like the one thing, though, that uh, I'm kind of worried about and we're really like to say that I feel like such a dork uh, <laughs> just because it's like it's not for me to worry about. But like with Shawn Michaels and, and like Triple H being like the head bookers now, I feel like you get kind of that WWE main event style in the NXT main events. And what I liked about NXT was it wasn't so much the WWE style. But then it's like, well, like you were saying, it's their company. They can do whatever they want with it. Yeah. I mean, it's a defeatist attitude. I think the, the, the way I think of it, I, I like something that bugs me a lot about WWE all the way across the board is that there is definitely a house style that they have, but like a lot of companies attempt to hide the house style in a way where like, there are different sorts of matches. If you watch AEW, you're going to see like a spot fest tag match uh, and you're going to see like a old school, like the Cody matches or like old school territory wrestling matches. And then you'll have like an extreme match with Moxley or something like that. Like you have a bunch of different versions of a wrestling match where with WWE, it, it really does feel like they have, they have their beats and they have their style. Mm-hmm. And like, to me, I would rather it be more varied. New Japan has a style too, but again, everybody has a different way of interpreting that style where in, in WWE, it does not feel like you're allowed to have your different way of interpreting that style, I guess. Yeah. Again, to compare it to music, like AEW is more of a mixtape, uh, where, where they allow completely different genres and, and like you were saying, different types of matches. Whereas with WWE, like they are their own genre. And like, if you're going to come in with your own style, you have to conform your style to their style, to their way of songwriting. You know, like Ricochet, yep. for example, is the perfect thing. Cause like Ricochet, I watched him like forever and he was just like, I was rooting for him so hard. And I'm like, this guy needs to be more famous than he is. He's so incredible. Like he, and he could put together a match or he has, he could do a spot fest. He could do a, you know, like anything. And then when he gets to WWE, like, you know, for the first few weeks or so, they push him, they give him the AJ Styles thing. And, and now for the last three months, he's been on main event. And it's like, this guy is too talented <laughs> to do that. But it's only because you're not, they're not, they don't want him to have the type of match that he's good at. And, and it's like, well, why'd you sign him? I guess you signed him so that he could, you, you want him to rise to the occasion of, of their style or whatever. Yeah. I think they signed a lot of these guys too. Cause they didn't want 
the other company to happen. Ricochet might be a little sure. different, you know, because I don't think AEW was fully established mm-hmm. when Ricochet got signed. Also, Ricochet was a guy that really wanted to. I mean, he's a guy that wanted his goal was WWE. You right. know what I yeah. mean? But it is it is kind of a bummer because there are these guys with these like crazy skill sets and 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 maybe they're not as good at talking, but like, you know, you could give them a manager somewhere else. You could figure out some way to tell stories with him where he doesn't have to cut 15, 20 minute promos in the middle of the ring. And I think that a lot of guys get left behind in WWE because they can't cut the 20 minute promo, the 20 minute written promo. And it's like, well, I mean, there are so many ways to get around that where you don't have to do that every time. Ricochet never cut long promos when he was doing indie stuff, you know, because I mean, he's not super good at it. <laughs> right. And he doesn't have to exactly. Like, I think that's something that AEW does well is they gave these good workers with not the best promo skills, just guys to talk for them, like Brian Cage and Taz. And like, what a renaissance Taz is having just being a shit talker. And you're just reminded like, oh yeah, he was a great promo. Yes. You know? Yeah, absolutely. It's very strange. It, it is. Uh, uh, I don't know why WWE does it the way they do, because it isn't working. It's very clearly not working. And like they just keep plugging away and they yeah. they aren't changing until the big guy is gone. Well, they, you know, <laughs> it's funny because, you know, we're talking about the attitude era and, you know, this new metal moment. I feel like at that point they were very much the opposite of what we're talking about. They were very like, we're going to try anything like they had the, the dumbest. Ma- and like a lot of it does not hold up. A lot of it is so misogynist and then like in some cases like inappropriately racist just like you know just a bad shock tv of the time and whereas like now they would never do like even the the perfect example of that is like how they had the hardcore title like even when they bring it back now they have to you know sanitize it in a sense as the 24 7 title right and you could do so much you could do even a lot. I, I think the 24 seven title sucks and that you could just bring back the hardcore title. I don't think people are freaking out. I know they probably don't want blood on TV. Yeah. But maybe like, just the word hardcore has just, you know, they're, they're trying to worry about this Coca-Cola advertisement, which they would never get in 98 or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a good point. I mean, they do have like others outside forces, that stop them from doing certain things, being like a publicly traded company and being on USA and not being, you know, the marketing towards kids, which I think I find to be like, that doesn't seem like what they should be shooting for because I, I don't know if kids, I guess you could try to get another generation of kids to watch wrestling, but I mean, pushing the big show is, is like not going to do that, you know? So, yeah. Like, but even right. Even going with like, okay, the, the, they're doing it for the kids. Like, well, is what they're doing really appealing to most kids? Like, I, I will say at house shows, it is a lot of when there were house shows, you know, back when we had civilization, it was a lot of kids and, and you really do see that aspect of it. And it helps me kind of, understand their philosophy but you know nobody's going to house shows anymore (laughs) right i would love to sit down with them and say who is this for you know i wonder that too i think about that all the time like every episode is supposed to be accessible in a way that somebody could just turn on monday night raw and know what's going on and they explain things and they don't give you any credit for having watched you know what I mean? Like yeah. all this stuff in the past there, you don't get anything for like being there every week because they say they want it to be so that anybody can just tune in and, and watch it, which is that's okay. But then they talk in this really weird corporate, like their own, almost their own language on, on the show where you're just like, who understands this? Like who is, who, who talks like this? I feel yeah. sometimes I'm just like this. And, and they write these big words for these wrestlers who are supposed to be these like brawny tough. And it's like, no, this wrestler shouldn't be saying this large word. You know, like I, I can't, 
think of an example, but like sometimes it'll just have them, you know, like, and as I pontificated last week, it's like, what? Like Seth Rollins shouldn't <laughs> be using the word pontificate, you know, like, I don't know. I mean, like, I don't get this thing with them about not just giving them the the outline and say, these are the things you have to say. This is what you have to get to, you yeah. know, and, and then just send them out there to do it. I don't think that's much of a risk. I know that they worry about TV time, but I think if a guy fucks up two or three times, you know, he'll learn eventually how to, you know, get the stuff lined up for, to fit in the TV time, you know? Yeah, I feel like AEW is proof of that. And you kind of see how some of these less established wrestlers in AEW, they got over with their promos. And one thing I really like about AEW to that point is like, I feel with WWE, if something is catching on that they didn't intend to catch on, they will suppress it. They will not let it happen. They're like, no, that's not where we're going with this. You have to stop doing it, and we have to go this way. With AEW, it's the complete opposite. Like, they, I feel like they were doing a Hangman Adam Page heel turn, but then they saw, wait a minute, this guy is super over, and like he's getting cheered, he's getting this like badass response, and like it's it's a character I feel that kind of happened organically. Like he's this modern, almost Steve Austin rebellious type. And then they were like, no, 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 like this guy's a face now. Like, like we have to make a we have to give him spots for people to cheer for him. Whereas I feel with WWE, they would not do that. They would they would make you boo him. No, if they had the plan that he was gonna be a heel, they would just barrel through and try to get you to boo him like he's a heel, you know? Where like with AEW, they course corrected a few times with Adam Page, actually. And the Dark Order is a pretty incredible, like, subject to me in that, like, people hated them. Like, they were just nobody cared when they came out. It was quiet. Yeah. People hated it, you know? And they've somehow gotten and scratched and clawed and adjusted and moved things around enough that now people care about them again. You know, and I, I think that's I mean, I think like I have I have complaints about the Dark Order storyline still, but mm -hmm. I do think that it's like it's headed in the right direction, you know, and that's because they adjusted. And I just don't think WWE just doesn't adjust. They have the story they're going to tell and they're going to tell you that story no matter how you feel about it, which is antithetical to pro wrestling because the audience is supposed to feel like they have some kind of input in the story. Right. And, and I mean, I'm sure there there's some instances where they did get like I'm trying to think now, ultimately, Steve kind of Austin, Becky, Steve Austin. And but like more modern times, like Becky Lynch comes to mind. Yeah. Uh, Daniel Bryan. Daniel Bryan's um, a big story. Like, like even with Daniel Bryan, I feel like they re like it really took a lot of convincing. <laughs> right, they resisted. Feeling. They resisted. They, you know, I I I got into it after that mania, but I've gone back and watched some of it, and they tried to put him in the Wyatt family. Yeah, as someone who watched it week to week, that made no sense. Like it was just like what, what? Like you you just didn't buy it, and then they dropped. Thankfully, they dropped it like almost instantly because. People just needed to cheer him, not want needed to cheer him, you know, like so. Right. But if you're, was, running, if, if you're running a company, right, and that happens and it's successful and it got so many people back into wrestling, I'm one of them. Don't you treat that as a lesson, you know, and, yeah, and I, I agree. be like, yeah. maybe we should listen to the audience, you know, but they never did it again after that. But Becky Lynch, I, I, I will agree that like. But I have also heard the rumors that Vince McMahon just decided that he liked Becky Lynch at that time. And she was going to go into the WrestleMania main event no matter what, you know. But that's also probably not true because Vince McMahon loves Charlotte Flair, too. So sure. <laughs> I, I think he's like, yeah, he, he probably liked both of them. But even even thinking that, like, they liked Becky, I feel like the build was really weak because you knew she was going to be in that main event and they every week they did some stupid goofy angle and meanwhile on smackdown they were doing the exact same story with kofi about like trying to get him not to get uh the title. and i guess that's another uh one where they adjusted on the fly because kofi was not supposed to win the world title at wrestlemania but he got so over that they were like all right yeah whatever <laughs>
Right. That's another thing about them is that we give them sometimes probably more credit for knowing things than they deserve. Because <laughs> I, I think that when something good happens in that company, it's almost always an accident. <laughs> You know, where it was like, oh, you gave us a glimpse of hope. You gave us a glimmer of hope. We saw that. So the crowd started taking over shows and then you had to respond to it. But like with Roman Reigns, it was like the most simple thing in the world with that guy was just turn him heel and he gets over as a baby face almost immediately. You like that's how it works. But for some reason, they just like wouldn't do it. And it didn't make any, it still doesn't make any sense to me. You know, I agree with you and it it would be in their best interest too. So that's kind of what baffles me about. Like if it were me, you know, if I'm putting on a show and the audience is doing the opposite of what I want them to do, then I just do the opposite of what I'm doing to get them to do the thing I want them to do. Yeah. Well, now they, I'm sure they love it now because there's no crowd to fuck up their, really bad soliloquies that they make these wrestlers speak. But even still, I, well, what's funny, it, like we were just talking, it just hit me that a few weeks ago, they're doing this very tasteless storyline with Sheamus and Jeff Hardy, where Sheamus is bringing up uh, Jeff Hardy's alcohol addiction. They didn't like outright say this, but it's implied that he knocked out Jeff Hardy and then purposely ran over another wrestler, Elias, and then threw Jeff Hardy in the car and poured alcohol on him to get him arrested for like all like it's just like why even do this? But anyway, it all culminated in a live piss test in the middle of the ring. And the punchline was that Jeff Hardy threw his piss at Sheamus. Now the best part about this is they didn't clear it with Fox. And when Fox saw this, they were like, what the fuck is this? We cannot have piss on our network. And the West Coast feed had to cut it out. Oh, I didn't hear about it. I, you know, I listened to The Observer almost every day. And I did not hear about that. I heard about the piss. I didn't know they got in trouble for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that that is a thing, right? Like the piss jokes and the shit jokes it's and just stuff the, like that. Yeah, it's the lowest humor. And nobody likes it except for one person, and that's Vince McMahon, who is the guy that actually in the end gets to decide what's going to be on the show. You know, it's like, fuck, man, this whole thing hinges on this 75 year old man that has never listened to another human being in his life. Like, (laughs) finally, rich guy in a bubble. Yeah, yeah, he can't. He can't. Like, come on, man. You think when it, it is a publicly traded company, somebody would step in? But then again, like, what do they care what the content is? They're, they're, you know, that's the other thing. There's no stake for yeah. WWE at this point. They they sign these big TV deals, and there's no stakes. Their ratings don't matter. You know, maybe they get pulled off of Fox, and it's embarrassing. They still get that money. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I feel like that's, I, I, I was talking to a friend about this a while ago, how like WWE was only at its best when they kind of had their backs against the wall, whether in the eighties when they were trying to just, you know, eat everyone up, they were just hungry. And then like, then they got comfortable and then WCW came and they started fucking them up and then they had their backs against the wall again. And they had to, they, that was when they finally started changing and updating and, and all they really did was just repackage and polish up and like make pop what ECW is doing, you know? And then once they burned all their competition, then they were coasting again and they haven't, they didn't really have any competition until AEW. Now I feel, I guess you could say like ring of honor and, and all these like indie promotions during what I like to call the dark ages and the aughts when you really had to go seek out your, underground wrestling or whatever pre-streaming and like they kind of would pick and choose the best parts of that but i feel like only now are are they really have their backs against well where it's like here is a viable alternative that is funny and like doing it how wrestling fans want to do it and it's working yeah it just isn't like well you know i i was just about to say like they just aren't really close in in numbers right (laughs) but they're getting there like raw <laughs> is not uh, the rating for raw this week was, I think 1.6 million. 
which is admittedly their third lowest that they've ever had. Right. But AEW is right there getting hovering around seven, eight hundred thousand, which is like what they're re- they're sort of. And it's not because AEW is doing so great. It's because Raw is doing so bad. They're starting right. to close the gap. You know, I mean, what do you why would you not make real changes after the debut of SmackDown does four million viewers and then you're down in the one and a half millions again now, you know? Yeah. Like, well, I think SmackDown is closer to like two, but your point, that's still half, half the, the audience. audience. Yeah, yeah. Half the audience went away on a network television on network. There's no competition television. right now. There's like, yeah. not, there's no new programming. They're the yeah. only, they're the only game in town at the moment. It just doesn't. It, it, you you would think you would be like, we have to do something here. This this isn't gonna hold because, you know, I feel like we are looking at a world where maybe they only have one show a week, it, like Raw. I think we we're starting to to. I'm starting to see a world where like the companies. I mean, okay, so in four years or so, less than that. When the TV contracts come up, they're not going to get the same contracts again. They don't, I don't have know. the same I, viewers, you know? <laughs> but here's here's the thing. They are providing two hours of original programming every week. So for Fox, like that would be two scripted shows. Would you be paying? You'd probably be, have to pay more for the development of those shows like with the writers and you know the union stuff and all that like it's probably cheaper just to do this like you know flat fee for content and not have to worry about all that stuff i think though the amount that they paid for this is they're definitely not getting a return on that and i think right. it would be a hell of a lot cheaper to do a reality show or a game show there. And honestly, it would probably draw more viewers than SmackDown. It's probably, you're right. It's probably, probably more mainstream appeal, which which is interesting because I feel like in terms of reach, WWE is more mainstream than it's ever been. Like they, they've never, like I, I feel like as a kid, it was al- almost a little embarrassing to, <laughs> to say you're a wrestling fan. Uh, whereas like now I feel like nerd culture and geek culture is so proliferated with comic cons and whatever. It's, there's not that stigma anymore and they get coverage on all these mainstream outlets, but it's still not drawing in any new viewers. Right. I mean, wrestling's big on, on like in left political circles and comedy circles. Like it is like a cool thing to like now. You know what I mean? Like, it feels like it's like a cool thing to like. And I think, you know, creative people, people that do creative things, especially live performers, get a lot out of watching it because it it really I I get a ton of like, you know, I've learned a lot about how to put on a show just from watching wrestling and seeing how they tell stories and how they get things across with their words and with the matches and stuff. Like it's really helped me figure out how to, you know, craft a podcast. Like I, I do two or three pod. I do three podcasts a week and uh, they all have different chemistry. If you listen to them, you know, you're going to see every time that I'm like sort of a baby face and uh, my co-host is, like kind of a heel, you know what I mean? And I've been doing that, you know, for the past like five years, especially with street fight. When I watched a documentary about stone cold, Steve Austin, where he talked about how he, he really wanted to be a heel. That was like his thing. He, he thought it was very fun, but when he got over, it was a, as a baby face and uh, he hated to admit it, but he's just a baby face. And like, uh, you know, I want to be an asshole. I want to be a heel, but uh, I, I'm just not one. People like me for whatever reason. And when I started to, and when I started to add those things into my performance, is when my show took off. That's cool. That's yeah. I'm a believer that everything is pro wrestling. Everything can can be related to 
to the philosophy of pro wrestling. So I, I fully support that. I, I agree. There are natural baby faces in the world, natural heel. And I feel like our president is a natural heel. And he basically does like his campaign rallies or he's cutting a promo for two hours. You know? Oh yeah. Like, I don't think it can be debated that he learned a lot from being on WWE TV that led him to winning the presidency as a lifelong wrestling. It is unbelievable. It is surreal to me. That Linda McMahon is running his like campaign re-election. She was like the small business administrator. Like, you know, you're flipping, you're flipping to the news channels and they they're in the the Oval Office or wherever he is with his entire cabinet and she's there. It's like it makes sense, but it doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah. We have a carny government, I think, is the thing. Like, we're finally people are seeing how carny the whole state is like Trump. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, I'm not an accelerationist kind of guy, but I do think he has laid bare what our government is by saying what our government is in plain words. You know what I mean? Right. Well, like a heel is about telling the truth and then using that to tell a lie at the very end that's backed up by the truth you just said. So he's, he's doing that. He's exposing the government and then like adding a little lie in the end to make, make himself look good. Yeah. Yeah. He's exposing. I mean, the best thing I can take from him is that like he's holding a mirror up to us and seeing number one, how ugly a lot of us are, but also like he's not an aberration when it comes to politicians. He just says the things out loud that politicians know not to say, you know, mm -hmm. and he's a good roaster. He's a, he's like a roast comic. He really is. I mean, there, I mean, it sucks. Cause like, if he wasn't the president, I think I would like him, you know, it's just <laughs> like shit, man. If he was harmless, he would be funny to me, but like, yeah. he's not harmless. So I can't like enjoy him, but there are times where the guy tweets something and I just, I'm just like, I, I just, that is funny. It's like undeniably funny. <laughs> Absolutely. I totally know what you're talking Like, like you sometimes you just, have to hand it to <laughs> like yeah, that's yeah. well i do kind of want to come back to the new metal topic we were talking about and discuss a few entrance themes and uh something we met we discussed briefly before the show the wwf forcible entry soundtrack the pinnacle of the new metal crossover and i also want to give honorable mention to the wcw mayhem soundtrack which was wcw's attempt at being hip and cool, which was actually slightly more metal. They had, I guess, more classic bands. Probably they probably had more Warner bands because they were on TNT. Because they had uh, Megadeth, where they did that song "Crush Him," that Crush awful song that was Goldberg's theme, and then "Seek and Destroy," which ended up becoming Sting's theme, which I thought was so fucking cool. And then a bunch of a bunch of the themes that Jimmy Hart wrote. Crush uh, are you is such a funny song. <laughs> It's, it's, the, it's the silliest. It's great. Brett, my partner, actually turned me on to that. And I was like, this is the goddamn funniest song I've ever heard. <laughs> I believe that was like right before Davis Dayton wanted to quit music forever because he was so embarrassed yeah, by risk. Yeah. It was just that whole album is a is a mistake. Yeah, it oh. seems it seems like it. I just for I, I I haven't done a lot of Megadeth. Brett really likes Megadeth. I got really into like Danzig and Typo Negative and stuff mm -hmm. when it comes to that period of music. Yeah, I mean I, I love it all. But uh, on to the uh, and, and Typo like Peter Steele, he's a fucking pro wrestler too. Like he could have been great at it. And apparently they wrote a theme song for Kane that never got released. Oh, wow. I would love to hear that. Actually. Yeah. I see if I can find, I love that band. I love, I, I got real into typo negative this year. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah. just kind of learning about them. Yeah, no, it's great. And like Peter Steele lived, like I went to uh, high school in the neighborhood that he lived in. And like anyone in South Brooklyn will tell you, like, you would just know, you would just see his car. Cause it was like, it was made to look like a Mad Max vehicle. And like, <laughs> it's just a, quaint brooklyn neighborhood and then there's this mad max car parked you know on the street <laughs> it was awesome that is uh, i just yeah, reviewed forcible entry on uh the pod cast patreon 
Well, that's a tough listen. Did you listen to it? I did. I listened to it today, uh, right before this interview. And it's such a time capsule of the, the period, too, because they have a few things that are like, I was like, what the fuck is Creed doing on here? You know? Yes, like, yes. And then I remembered, like, oh, they probably had some deal with Creed because they had those My Sacrifice videos at the time where they would do these montages about the sacrifices wrestlers make to that song. Yes. So, <laughs> which I, that was, but then they also have like theme, they, they had like reworked versions of wrestlers' theme songs, the best of which was Disturbed's cover of Stone Cold Steve Austin, which I thought at the time was a legit jam. Really? I, you know, I've talked to a lot of people. So I had gotten out by then. Wasn't watching very much. But mm-hmm. a lot of people I talked to say they, they hated that song. And it pissed them off that they switched Stone Cold song. And I listened to it and was like, yeah, you can do either one of them. I'm fine with either one. <laughs> you know? Well, I, I can I can understand the sentiment because like his entrance theme is so iconic that like I feel like I would have said that of all the songs, like they changed Triple H a song to this weird drowning pool cover, which was oh, yeah. a million times worse. They changed the raw theme to this Union Underground song that's on here, which actually I do like across <laughs> the nation. And sometimes I sometimes I'm just like, you know, in the shower or move to the music like it just it catches up. But then there's also <laughs> this weird seven dust cover of the Chris Jericho theme, which I completely blocked out of my head that they never used. I don't know why. And maybe this is just, I saw them live a few times, but seven dust is just not my favorite band. (laughs) 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 I don't know how to say it nicely that I just always thought they stunk. (laughs) You know, everybody has their own choice. I, you know, I'd like all kinds of shit that people say sucks. Uh, and then they have, oh, I'm just looking at the track list now, The Beautiful People, which was, of course, the theme song to SmackDown at the time, which I just remember, which is like, that's so cool that they had, I guess at the time, this was already 2000, 2001, it was way after the song ha- had its peak, but like they had a relatively modern song as their intro. They, it, it was not very u- typical for them. Yeah, it's like four years after, but it's also a song that like Marilyn Manson was still a risk at that time to have on your show. So it is kind of cool. Yeah, that's a good point. That is a good point. Like with the context of like how you was still so dangerous and then flash forward like five years and then like SmackDown's theme is green days. Do you know your enemy? Which was just the worst. (laughs) I think like the WWE theme songs for the shows for like SmackDown and raw are some of seriously the worst music in the world. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Nickelback knockoffs at this point. I, what is it? Like Skillet, I think, is the Roth theme. I don't even know the smack that one. Probably. I, I thought Nickelback is not the... They switched it from Nickelback. It's so funny. Yeah. It was, I don't mean... Nickelback. I'm not a like music snob guy, but I also feel like the company should be more aware of like what people think about Nickelback before they pick them to do their theme song. You know, like I don't think they're that bad. I even, I think how you remind me, I think that song goes a little bit. It's good. But, uh, I, I still like, if I was just because I am like, if I was looking for a new theme song for street fight, would not be a Nickelback song, no matter (laughs) how good the song was, you know, because it's just like, people would be like Nickelback. What the hell dude? I will say earlier this year, I was at a function, like a music industry party thing. And uh, Chad Kroger, the frontman of Nickelback, was there. It, there was like a situation where we were, at, I was, me and my friends were like at the bar waiting. And he to- he cut the line and just got himself two beers that he paid $100 for. And then he was like, and you know what? Buy these guys around too, since I got them in line. So since he bought me a beer, I'm a, I'm a very cheap sellout. So I, I shan't taint the name of Chad Kroger no more. But he, so he I, totally wanted me <laughs> I know a guy that played in a cover band in Ohio, in, in Columbus here, and Nickelback was coming through town, and they were performing How You Remind Me on stage. 
and uh, he had to perform the song in front of him, and, and oh, wow. he gave them like he gave them some pointers when they were done. And it's like a really funny story to me. Cause it's like what you couldn't just cut that song out. But like at the time you really couldn't cut that song out. Like everybody was into that song. I, they right. all say they weren't, you know what I mean? That's the yeah. same thing I'd say about Creed a lot too. You, you brought them up earlier. Everybody acts like nobody was ever into Creed, but there was a period where like my own prison and my sacrifice, and there were like these. There's, yeah, there was the like a, wide open. Ugh, yeah, I hate. I always hated them. Right, that I is don't... about when it got bad, right? But before that, there was that period where they were kind of heavy, and people hadn't decided that they were the worst band in the world yet. Right. And I think that like people forget that totally. People always love to forget when they liked something that you know. Ended up like not being that cool, but I still remember when my own prison came out. I was like, This song is fucking cool. <laughs> and like, <laughs> of course, I turned on them when Higher came out and Arms yeah. Wide Open. But like, before I turned on them, there was a period where I was like, I kind of like these guys. I don't know. <laughs> uh, they, they, uh, I felt that way with Nickelback. I liked how you remind me, like the singles off the first album were right. I think once it got to that like photograph era is when everyone just completely decided to like, all right, these guys are done. You know, it's weird. It is really weird how people just for some reason decide to make that decision that that they hate something all of a sudden. I mean, like, you know, the band that I think really typifies that is Metallica. Where it's like just yeah. these guys are on a fucking roll. They do the Napster thing, and then everybody's just like, "I hate this." You know, "Sane Anger" is a really f- interesting album to me. You know, yeah, like it's not good, but it's interesting enough. Like the story, you get to see them making it and the story, and then all the consternation and all the fighting and some kind of monster and all that stuff in order to get this album that like made nobody happy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and that uh, some kind of monster. I mean, I recently rewatched it uh, for uh, did like a podcast watch along, and it is brutal. It is so long, and the only thing I left thinking was like, how do they watch this and see this and see how they behave? And thought this is something we want other people to see. Like, I think like, they no. wanted it. I think they tried to stop it from coming out, and they tried to get their own cuts of it. But the documentarian was like. No, we're going to release the movie. Mm. Mm. Yeah, (laughs) it was brutal. It was brutal. Yeah, they come off like fucking assholes in that movie. Like in a way that you don't. I mean, that's kind of what I liked about it is that like what a bunch of assholes. And also they really show you that it becomes a job. It becomes a business. And, like, I think, you know, there's so much in that movie that, like, really points out that, you know, they're Metallica LLC, you know? Yeah. (laughs) But then there's also these weird, like, I think it really kind of exposed Lars's personality a lot. Like, when he was just jealous that Newstead had a band already and that, like, they were touring and they can't even write a new record. And it's like, well, that's on you, dude. You know? Uh, yeah, he came off like a dick in that scene. But James comes off as, like, a total dick. Huge. Yeah, both of them. Back. Yeah. Yeah. It's like when he's mad that they're working after the four-hour workday that he's set up for themselves. It's like, dude, come on, man. Yeah. Like, it's a total tell people control to tur- freak. Yeah. You can't tell people to turn it off. You know, <laughs> because of you, just because like you decided you could only be there for so long. Yeah. They were all just heels with go away heat. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I love the movie, though. I do love that movie. It's something else, man. It's, it's one it's of those great music movies. Yeah. It's one of those. Like, I have a few like music docs that I really love that I've watched like a hundred times. And that's that's one that I've seen so many times one that's comparable to that in that like i left thinking both people in the doc were terrible is there's a tenacious t documentary that oh. follows them around and it is more so kyle gas comes off like the absolute worst human being in the world because he he is like he has complete like 
ego and like he's he can't believe that Jack Black he's sick of Jack Black being treated like a bigger star than him because Tenacious D is the both of them and it's just like dude like you have to realize why Tenacious D is big in the first place it's not because of your music yeah I need to check that out I didn't even know about that I'll totally check that out that sounds great yeah and uh I do want to recommend to our listeners you did an awesome podcast with uh will from chapo's trap house about the pmrc a few weeks ago or like a few months ago where you guys totally broke down the entire trial and like the political motivations and all like the shit they were doing like like the bands they were going after and and like i i'm so obsessed with that story as well so it was really interesting to hear you guys talk about it yeah it was great i i read tipper gore's book and uh, watched all of the uh, Senate hearings and stuff. And uh, what a fascinating time, really. It was very weird. It's the last time metal was, rock and roll was really dangerous, you know? Like, yeah. where, where, like, a- after that, it, you know, kind of became rap that people were freaked out about. But, you know, that was the last time, like, hard rock. Well, Marilyn Manson was considered pretty dangerous. But, I mean, the government was freaking out about, you know, wasp at the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're, they, exactly. There were congressional hearings where they're bringing in fucking D. Snyder to totally yeah. own that. So I'll link that in the description and uh, also link to your other podcasts. Is there anything you want to plug? Feel free to plug away. Hey, if you like this, here's the two things I do. I do the POD cast. It's once, a, it's twice a month if you get Patreon, but it's once a month we review a new metal album every month. And then uh, if you're into wrestling, I do guest spots pretty frequently on Everything Elite, which is a podcast about AEW. It's a it's a review podcast. I do stuff on, a, a lot on their Patreon and uh, the Bad Wrestling Podcast with Kevin and Chris. I do an episode a month with them about different things that just kind of attach to my world. So if you want to hear me talk more about wrestling, those are the two places to get that. And then if you want to hear me talk about metal, the POD cast. What what are, what are these bad wrestling? What are some topics here on this bad wrestling? That uh, I've I'm done intrigued. or what they do? Yes. Okay, so I did the Vince Russo brand podcast. Oh network. my God. I, I listened to them for like a week and... Wow. Well, actually three weeks. I listened to a lot of that and we we did kind of a review of the Russo brand network podcast. We did a man cow and WCW. Oh man. I'm sort of synonymous with man cow with shock jocks. We did I'm trying to think we did the Sam Roberts wrestling podcast. We did an episode about that. That is pretty crazy. And uh, I did an episode about my favorite pay-per-view my favorite bad pay-per-view, which is tables, ladders, chairs, and stairs. Yes. A show about the stairs match. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you could write a whole thesis on that. Match. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Those guys do a really, those guys do a really funny show. They really find some bad wrestling. So if you're into that kind of yeah. thing, I would check it out. That sounds fun. Yeah, I definitely will. And I, I can't believe you made it through. I can't even make it through like a 10-minute YouTube clip of Vince Russo on this, uh, on his Russo brand. Like that whole operation just reeks of desperation to me. Like he will just do anything for money and say anything just to like pay his mortgage or whatever. Yeah, it stinks. It's really bad. Uh, uh, but I have a high tolerance for bad radio you know i one of the things i do on the street fight patreon is a thing called shocktober where i review where i do a deep dive and cover shock jocks oh okay. that's uh, is it you ripped off a isn't that like an oa bit <laughs> that's what or, we, uh, that's why we called it shocktober was because okay. they did jocktober and now we oh, do it with them okay yeah they I did see. one called jocktober we switched it to shocktober it's me and felix <laughs> from chapo Oh, awesome. trap house. And we talk, yeah. uh, we talk, I mean, the, the episodes are, um, you can get them on streetfightradio.com. Actually, you can buy Shocktober for five bucks, but, uh, we talked about Opie and Anthony Howard. We did an episode about Opie and Anthony, one about Howard Stern, one about man cow, one about Bubba, the love sponge and one about Tom Likas. And, uh, All we just, 
talked about those guys. And then we're going to come back this October with uh, Howard Stern 2, Opie and Anthony 2, Man Cow 2, and uh, Loveline and Don Imus. So be on the lookout for that. People really like that show. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. I, I feel like there's a lot of people that grew up on those shows that have come to realize that maybe some of the comedy on there wasn't. <laughs> Like, oh, yeah, yeah. We we good. talk about all of it. We we play clips and you know, we we kind of make fun of them. You know, it's like sort of yeah. a full circle thing where two guys that were big fans of Opie and Anthony, one of my favorite bits they did was Jocktober, and it just feels good to take shots at them the way that they took shots at other people back at that time. Yeah. You know, kick them under. They're, they're fine. They're fucking millionaires. They're all right. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. All right, Brian, it was an absolute pleasure to have you here on the Squared Circle Pit. Uh, thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You too, man. Very awesome to talk to Brian, and thank you for tuning in. Um, it is a interesting time in pro wrestling, and like with New Japan, they're about to have a show uh, that's going to have... Uh, a crowd uh, coming up very soon. So I'm very excited. I've been kind of watching some New Japan stuff. They've been doing shows without crowds in Japan. And WWE's been going all right. And AEW has been pretty good as well. I've been enjoying most of it. And, and wrestling is pretty fun right now, uh, all things considered. And it's a nice distraction. <laughs> and, uh, and I hope I have been a fun distraction. And of course, I'd love for you to follow us on social media. Squared Circle Pit is the uh, Twitter handle with no E in circle. And then uh, we were also on Facebook, facebook.com slash square circle pit. And I am Rob Ejection on all social medias. I'll be back in a few weeks with another episode. Till then, stay metal, watch wrestling.